get another week going we are underway on a monday february 26th steinberg and wes gilbertson this week on flames talk wherever you get your hour uh, wherever you get your podcast on apple spotify google amazon or wherever you get your podcast wherever you get your podcast hours go get us we'd love to have you along for the ride hello wes hey buddy how are you i'm doing well as uh we get another week going another week going and now we're less than two weeks from the 2024 trade deadline. In fact, 11 days from March 8th. And we continue to wait and wonder what's going to happen with Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev. And, and, you know, I think on a daily basis, it's kind of like, where do things stand? And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but trade talk continues to dominate the narrative in this market when it comes to this team. I'm not sure if you've picked up on that. Or not. Yeah, you know what? I, I'd heard a rumor about that. It's uh, it's it's getting to the point where you're just like, every day you're like, is today yeah. the day? It, it's almost amazing, isn't it, that we're still 11 days out from trade deadline just yep. because it feels like we have been in countdown mode for, I would say, over a month already. Yep. A- at least sort of going back to maybe the bye week. Maybe, maybe that's when it, it really felt like, okay, obviously the Elias Lindholm trade happens. There was some speculation that the Tanev deal might come together two or three days after. Obviously, that hasn't happened. So, yeah, it just feels like we've been on pins and needles for about a month already. I think they were close on a Tanev deal at the same time then, but nothing came to fruition. They, they didn't end up getting it done. Um, and now it's like... We know things are going to happen, and we know this deadline is looming, and yet Noah Hannafin just put together another outstanding game against the Oilers. That Man, pairing. he was good, wasn't he? He sure was. And, oh. and so was that pairing. Not only, like, Hannafin had the three points. Should have been four. Um, but he had the three points. And him and Tanev did a masterful job against some of Edmonton's top players in their building. And... The only thing or or the main thing that I think a lot of people wanted to talk about post-game after the win in Edmonton was we're watching the final days of, of Hannafin as a member of the Flames after a game like that. And what is this group going to look like once that pairing is no longer wearing a flaming C? It's just the the weirdness of the whole thing while the team is playing some great hockey and, and keeping themselves in this playoff mix as best as they can. It just I keep on using the term purgatory keep on using the, the the term limbo because that's that's kind of the situation the group finds themselves in right now. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you played it, obviously, Saturday night post-game, but Noah Hannafin didn't exactly pour cold water on the speculation either, right? He was asked by one of our colleagues about, do you see yourself as part of the future in Calgary? And, and we know that he probably can't answer that question, but when he sort of stick handled left and right and, and said, well, I'm just focusing on the day to day. Yep. 
tells you everything you need. Yeah, he used that line a couple of times when asked about things. Yeah. Kind of fringy or directly about the future with the team. Yeah, as I said, I'm just focused on the day-to-day, which good on him. That's that's the way that you're going to answer things. You, He knew the questions were coming, and he knew that he was going to get a few of those, especially after a game like that. And here's here's my read on the Hannafin situation, because I, I, I think it is a complicated situation the Flames find themselves in with Noah. I think that this has turned into a grind, and I think this has turned into a a real process in trying to maximize his value, and and I think maximizing the value has been complicated a little bit because of a contract extension. So I know he has the limited no-trade clause, which is some leverage, but not a massive amount of leverage for the player, but he actually has more than it would look like on the surface because so many teams are interested in him, not just as a rental, but are looking at him as a long-term part of the future. And a contract extension, I think, is looming heavily over all of this on on Hannafin. Like, I think that's the main reason we haven't seen a deal completed yet is because I think there's some... I'm trying to think of the right word. Uh, I, I just think there's still a lot of mind being made up in terms of what Hannafin's thinking beyond this season. You know, he knows that a trade's going to happen and he knows that at some point in the next 11 days, he's going to be in a different area code. Like he knows these things, but that's just the short term still that's between now and at latest June, right? What about the next seven or eight years after that? And I think that that is still something that is not fully decided. And so without an extension, I don't know if the Flames are getting the best offers from some of the other places because teams have either been told no, that there is not interest in in an extension in that market or teams don't know if they're going to be able to re-sign the player. And I, I do think that that is holding things up and making this more of a grind for Craig Conroy and company than maybe it would seem on the surface when you just look at, well, Noah Hannafin, 27-year-old defenseman with 600 NHL games plus. He can play 25-plus minutes a night. We just saw what he did against the Oilers. Everybody knows what Hannafin is, and there are a ton of interested teams what I think is becoming maybe a little bit more difficult or what had not even becoming what has been difficult is okay. There are a ton of interested teams. I'm just not convinced. And I, I don't think that there are a lot of interested teams who are willing to pay a massive price. If they're only going to get them as a rental and aren't going to be able to resign them beyond this season. And, and from the, other side of the coin or the other side of the equation, you absolutely get that, right? The price tag on Noah Hannafin for three months is a lot different than the price tag on Noah Hannafin if he's going to be in your lineup for the next seven or eight years. And it's what makes Noah Hannafin such a sort of imperfect rental, right? The top contenders don't have a lot of salary cap space, not just this year, but looking forward. I mean, if you if you sort of look at the the fits and okay, who might want Noah Hannafin? Who could use one more top four defenseman? You know, those teams also, like most teams, have a lot of salary cap commitments moving yep. forward, and yet it puts 
Craig Conroy in a tough spot, doesn't it? Because we all saw, and you and I have, have talked at length about the return for Elias Lindholm, how well we believe the Calgary Flames did in that deal. Without an extension. Without an extension. But based on sort of what we're hearing and, and based on kind of the feel you're getting, if you can't extend Noah Hannafin, that's not five pieces coming back. I I don't think that... And I think that's what the waiting game is right now. The Flames... Craig Conroy wants to do everything in his power right. to, to maximize Noah Hannafin, right? And... And the ideal, the ideal is to get Hannafin somewhere where he's going to sign a contract extension, whether it's a sign and trade or whether it's he goes there and, and something's already worked out. Like that is the ideal. But okay, so we know, for instance, Tampa Bay is one of the teams. Like that's Pat Brisson is not has, has obviously put that out there, and that's not trying to. It's the the world's most powerful hockey agent, and he's very good at getting things for his clients and kind of playing the puppet master behind the strings. He's, a, he's an expert at it. He's, it's why he's got so many clients and he's got so many high profile clients because he is, he is elite. And so there's clearly a desire for Hannafin in Tampa Bay. And I think he would sign instantly in Tampa Bay, but do the lightning have the pieces to be able to make that, to make that play. Right. So there's question number one, that's, does a team that is willing to extend or or Hannafin's willing to extend with have the assets to make the deal right. to maximize it? Does a team that is looking at him as just a rental or who would get him as a rental, are they willing to pay the price to bring him in as only a two, three-month guy? Both those things, if the answer is no, you're not maximizing him right now. So you're looking at it and you say, okay, well, I've got 11 days to try to see if I can get the best of both worlds, a team that he wants to go to and a team that is willing to give the assets for that. And I honestly, I think that's, that's, that's the waiting game right now. And I think that has been the waiting game for quite some time in trying to find the fit. And here's, here's the thing. I am fully confident that, Craig Conroy will move Hannafin for the best possible deal. Whether that's a team that is extending him or not, it just to your point, if it turns out that a team isn't willing to give up the assets for a rental in, in Hannafin's case, or the team that he'll extend with isn't willing or isn't able to give up the assets the Flames are looking for, Conroy's still not going to let this thing go past the deadline. I guess what I'm saying is it might be one of those trades. I, I don't know. There's still 11 days, and that's that's the bright side. It just might be one of those trades. I, I wonder if this one ends up being a little bit less of a return that has been spoken about on the outside just because of the interesting circumstances that are around it. Well, and I think the way that Craig Conroy wins this trade, quote unquote, or, or gets the sort of return price that he's set is he might have to wait until the 11th hour on this one, because your best case scenario now, at least from my vantage point, is that you have a team that sort of reacts to another top contender in their conference, that they they see moves happening around them and they think, okay, geez, we need to get a guy. That's how 
you manage to pry a little bit more away in return for Noah Hannafin. But that's going to take a lot of patience from Craig Conroy. And there's some risks that come with that as well, right? If you're going to wait right up to close to the last minute, hoping that someone will sort of, I don't know if panic's the right word, but someone in reaction to the moves that they're seeing in other markets. Or those, just, just the pressure of a deadline. Right. We Okay, we got to get this done. We're going to sweeten our offer. But, I mean, how how many markets are we talking about here, buddy? Like, how many places is Noah Hannafin willing to play ball? That, that's I think it's question. a handful. Like, yeah. I, I honestly think it's three, four, five is kind of what we're talking about right now. It, it seems like we've been talking since the fall that there's a good chance that he probably wanted to play south of the border. Mm-hmm. But but it's much more, I think, from both our understanding, it's much more specific than that. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, my guess is both Florida teams would be desirable for him. I think Vegas is desirable for everybody. I don't think there's a player in the league who'd be like, nah, Vegas, nah. No state tax, winning team, right now defending Stanley Cup champions, best atmosphere in the league. There's just his close buddy, Jack Eichel. Eichel's there. You're in Vegas. You're close to LA. You're close to Scottsdale. You're in Vegas. The weather's great. Like Vegas is a very desirable place. It might be number one on the power rankings right now for players where they want to go. So I think Vegas is a spot that is involved with everybody. And I don't think they're out of the equation when it comes to any potential trade target. So I wonder about Vegas. I wonder about. Florida. I wonder about Tampa, obviously. A little bit about um, Los Angeles. They always seem to be a stocking horse in these things as well. Those are just four teams that I wonder about. A little bit more confident on the first three that that would be. But again, does Vegas have the assets to meet Calgary's ideal asking price? Does Florida? Is Florida interested? I think we know Tampa's interested but do they have the assets or are they willing to basically drain themselves of assets to make this work? Right. All these things are, are why it's going to be really, I think the flames do and should have a very fair, but high target for Hannafin. I think it's probably a first, a prospect, like a really good prospect and a roster player. And I think that is a very fair ask whether or not they're going to get that. I, I don't know. I really don't know. And the whole idea of, Hannafin signing where he wants come July, I think is scaring or not scaring, but is just giving teams a little bit more pause in terms of paying the asset price that they, the flames rightfully should be asking. Yeah. And it puts, it puts Craig Conroy in a tough situation, right? Because suddenly if you're not getting many assets for a guy who's going to go on to play another 10 plus seasons in the national hockey league. That's going to be a trade that you continue to look back on and say, geez, that's all we got. That's all we got for this guy that, you know, this is not a maybe apples to apples comparison, but if you go back to the last time they were sort of selling big time at the deadline and, Jay Bomeister goes out the door and it turns into what? Red O'Bara and Mark Kandari? Mark Kandari and a first round pick. Which turned into Emil Poirier. Emil Poirier. Yeah. And so you look back and you, d- you didn't get anything out of that deal. You got, I don't know, Emil Poirier played 15 or 20 games in the National Hockey League. I was believe. it, it, was it, it might that not many? even be that many. And so 
that puts Craig Conroy in a tough spot because, you know, when you go check Noah Hannafin's hockey DB page. It was eight. It was eight. Doubled it for you, Emil. Yeah. When you go look at Noah Hannafin's hockey DB page in 10 years and he's played 1,600 games or whatever, 1,400 games in the National Hockey League, and you click the, you know, the hockey DB trade tracker is not going to say, well, here's why they only got this for him. And so I'm sure Craig Conroy's feeling that pressure because this is looked at as an asset that you really should cash in for. And it seems like the Calgary Flames are are bracing for a sort of underwhelming return because Noah just hasn't given them a whole lot of cities to work with. Yeah. And yet, if Noah wants to be an unrestricted free agent on July 1st for the first time in his career, he's earned that right, right? He, he absolutely has earned that with his time in the National Hockey League. Just puts the Calgary Flames in a really tough spot. It does. And I mean... That doesn't mean that it can't be rectified and Conroy doesn't hit another massive grand slam like he did with Han- with Lindholm. It just, all along, for whatever reason, and I can't really pinpoint why, but all along, Lindholm's price as a rental was sky high as opposed to Hannafin's price as a rental compared to the idea of re-signing him. It's just a different ballgame. Maybe it's a positional thing. Maybe it's a... Maybe it's an age thing just because so many teams are like, well, if we're getting this guy, we see him as part of the future. And so many teams looked at Lindholm for whatever reason. Maybe because there's so much uncertainty as to what the hell Lindholm wants and or wanted. I don't know. But for whatever reason, the rental market was hot for Lindholm and just sounds a whole lot less hot for Hannafin. And I can't quite pinpoint why. Maybe it is because there's more defensemen. There weren't really anybody like Lindholm or any other players like Lindholm on the market necessarily. Former 40-goal guys can play the wing, can play center, Selkie Trophy guys. I don't know. There are other defensemen that are in the conversation. Tanev's in the conversation. There's a few other defensemen around the league that are being talked about somewhat similarly. I don't know. Maybe that's what it comes down to. There's there's more supply, but it's a tough one to wrap your head around. Because I think, ideally, the Flames should be getting a ton for this guy because I think he's a hell of a player. Yeah, it is a tough one to wrap your head around, especially, and I know teams don't make this decision on one night, but look at what you saw from Noah Hannafin on Saturday. You saw a guy who, because of his skating ability, did a hell of a job on Connor McDavid, right? Connor McDavid finishes with two assists. It's not a coincidence that neither came against the... Tanev, Hannafin, Perry. It's not a coincidence that with control of the matchups, the Oilers were trying to get Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl away from those yep. two, right? We saw Noah Hannafin jump into the rush and score a goal. We saw him score another goal on the power play, which is somewhere that his skills have, have really, I think, developed in the last couple seasons with the Calgary Flames. You saw him make a a great play with that sort of sweep check at the blue line that goes the other way and turns into an assist. You saw him play 25 minutes without breaking a sweat. He had seven shots on net. He blocked four in his own zone. Like, that's a guy who should get you a haul at the deadline. That that really is a guy that should be, hey, you know, back up the asset train here. This is going to take several pieces. And really... 
I don't know what has to happen for that bidding war to maybe start, but you know, if I'm another Western Conference team and I'm watching what Noah Hannafin did the other night against yeah. Connor McDavid, I have to be interested. You take him to the Eastern Conference. You don't think he could play that same kind of game against Nikita Kucherov? Kucherov? Yeah. Of course he can. Yeah. He happens to be having his best season of his career. He happens to be 27 years old. And yet, if you only have him for three months, of course it impacts what you're going to pay for. And and I want to I want to caution that I still think the Flames are going to get a nice return for him. I like I still think a first round pick is coming. I still think it'll be a first round pick plus. I just don't know if it's going to be the same like 500 foot Frank Thomas home run that they hit with Elias Lindholm. And maybe it is. I'm not saying it won't be. I just I think this one's been a little bit more of a grind, that's all. Still more than his defense partner. I think he'll still yeah. end up getting the uh, and and on the Tana front, we'll get to some texts in a little bit because of course they're they're pouring in because anytime you talk about this stuff, that's exactly what happens. But as for Tanev, I've got a little bit. I I, I pretty I'm pretty. Um, I think I've got a pretty good read on the Hannafin situation just on on some of the the different places I've checked in. The Tanev situation seems a little bit more like I don't know it. It feels like there's still lots of people into him, and that one just seems like a, a a little bit more of a simple waiting game. Like we're just we're waiting for our price. We think we can get our price. If we can't, we're still going to be happy with what we end up trading him for. In that they're waiting for a first round pick. I still, my heart of hearts believes the play is still for Conroy to wait out Tree Living. I, and, I was just going to say, you don't, in your heart of hearts, believe that Brad Trulivin, the guy we watched wheel and deal in this market for eight seasons, can sit on that first round. Pick I don't, I don't deadline. like I, I've for the last two weeks, I've been wondering if Conroy's just not to say that's the only play, but like, I think Conroy knows that's one of his options. Yeah. They don't have a second round pick. They want Tanev. There's no question. We all know Tree and Toronto want Tanev. Give us your first. You got a deal. Yeah. Until you don't, I'm happy talking with Team X, Y, and Z. I, so I wonder if that is one of the stocking horses that Conroy's working with right now. We know Dallas. I've heard Dallas from like six or seven or eight different people now. I know Elliot just talked about it on the latest 32 Thoughts, wherever you get your podcasts. So that means Dallas is interested. I think the Stars would be a very good fit for him. Um, there, there are countless others. Again, Vegas. Vegas would absolutely be ready to acquire a guy like Tanev. Um, Vancouver, we've heard Edmonton. I'm sure there's another Eastern Conference team or two that would pounce at that opportunity. So right now, I think it's just a little bit more cut and dried with with Tanev. I think Hannafin's situation swims in a little bit more gray and is a little bit more of a grind. I think it's just a little bit more cut and dried for Tanev. They know they're going to get something for him. They know that they'll be able to play teams off against one another up until the deadline on March 8th. The question is, will they get a first-round pick? If I'm betting on it, I think they're going to. I think they will get a first-round pick for Tanev. But if they don't, they'll still get a good return for him. You know what I'm thinking, buddy, as we sit here? 11, do you say 11 days to the deadline? 11 days. I think tomorrow night against the Los Angeles Kings has to be Chris Tanev's last game in a Flames uniform. See, I, I was wondering about that. Once you get to within a week of the deadline, which you are Saturday, Mika Kippersoft night against the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think within a week, you got to be careful on this one. If, if I was calling these shots, 
tomorrow would be Chris Tanev's last game pre-trade deadline. I was asked about this, I think, on Saturday's post-game show, and my guess was, unless a trade is imminent, yeah. let's just say that no trade is imminent until deadline day. Let's say Hannafin and Tanev both wait until next Friday. My guess was they play three of the final four, and they sit the game the first game of the road trip. That That is kind of my, and I'm not saying that's what I do. It's just the Flames, Hannafin and Tanev are still helping this team win oh, hockey for games. For sure they are. They are still selling out. They are still, like they, as much as they know what's happening, they're also still part of the team. They still love the guys inside that room. And they're trying to make a playoff spot here. They're, they're trying to stretch this to four and five and six straight wins before the deadline. And I know that pisses some people off, but that's what they're trying to do. And so I just, I wonder if for the rest of the homestand, unless a deal is imminent, we see them continue to suit up. And then day one of the road trip, they go through the Southeast U.S. That's the Thursday. So it's Thursday, March 7th. I would be, if they're not traded, I would be stunned if either Hannafin or Tanev play that game against Tampa Bay. Uh, You know, specific to a a 30 for. 34, I'm sorry, year old Chris Tanev. One game is not enough for me. That And I've been talking going back to October about letting this one ride right up to deadline day. I think by waiting, you can maximize the return unless Brad phones and is ready to, you know, get off his wallet with that first round pick or another team is willing to make a similar commitment. But man, I, I'd be I'd be awfully nervous going into early next week and still having Chris especially in your lineup. I I know that the guys in that room are trying to get into the playoffs. I know Ryan Huska and until he's told he can't use Chris Tanev, he's going to play the wheels off him. And you would too, if you were trying to play in LA on Tuesday night and that pairing is going to be out there against every good player on the Kings and Hannafin's probably going to play 25 again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not going more than one more if it's my call on Chris Tanev. I tend to agree with you. I just don't know if I it's see not that. our call. Yeah. Exactly. It's not our call and and you know, certainly there's some you know, there's some un there's a little bit of uncomfortable feeling there. You're you're bringing one of your franchise legends back on Saturday. You're raising a number to the rafters. Do you really want to be scratching one or two of your more important players no but in in terms of protecting the asset and again this this for me is a bigger issue with number eight but in terms of protecting that asset geez i i tomorrow would be the last one for me uh i'll read a few texts here this says uh they held mcdavid and drysaddle pointless at home in january where the fluky goal decided it west when calgary had the last matchup uh last matchup slash change as you've been saying that's no accident very good point um this says is there a possibility that a deal doesn't get done at the deadline because calgary isn't able to get what they want for hannafin or are they forced into a situation where they have no choice and have to take what they can get 100 it's the latter i i am fully confident like 100 percent. i would be stunned like singing a show tune on the air as as um um as penance if Either Hannafin or Tanev were here past the deadline without extensions. We don't think they're getting extensions. We know they're not getting extensions. I don't. The, Conroy is trading them. It's not going to be a Mike Camilleri 
2014 situation. It yeah. just isn't. And that might mean they have to take less than what you're getting on your video game or what this website has suggested or what you and your buddies have worked up as a good trade. And that's not being, I'm not trying to be derogatory on that. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade. We all have done that. I just, whatever happens by 1 p.m. Mountain on March 8th, there's going to be a fax or an email or a call made to the NHL office and Hannafin's going to be dealt. Yeah, because you've been trying for months to get his signature on an extension. You've done everything possible, whether it was financial or otherwise, to convince Noah Hannafin to make an eight-year commitment to the Flames organization. And without that, I don't. I just think it would be so foolish to think, oh, over the next few months, we're going to convince him to stay. It's pretty clear that Noah Hannafin, before July 1 or on July 1, would mm-hmm. be a goner. And so you got to cash him in for what you can get. Uh, this reads, they have to move Tanev first. Teams that are in on both guys are weighing options. Take an asset off the market and start the bidding war. This says Hannafin gives you future. Teams don't need to trade for him right now. They'll try to sign him in the summer. Tanev will get you a solid uh, back end for a playoff run. Very, very true. And just, I think what we've seen in the blossoming, if that's the right word, of Noah Hannafin this season, like if you asked me, and I don't know, Pat, if you'd be on board with this, Noah Hannafin has been the Calgary Flames' best defenseman this season. Full stop for me. Yep. That's their top pair. No question. And so if I'm trying to win a Stanley Cup, I think, I really think Noah Hannafin gives me as good of a chance of winning a Stanley Cup this season as Chris Tanev does. And and that's just how highly I think of the way Noah Hannafin's played this season. And so, yes, you're right. That that can be a future asset. You can offer him seven years on July 1, then you... You don't have to go eight-year extension. Maybe you can even try and trade for his rights Mm -hmm. in in the summer if you're trying to jump the market. But I don't think Noah Hannafin is is just a future play either. This is a guy who can help you. The way he's played for the past five months, this is a guy who can help you win right now. Yep. Hey, I, I think regardless of how this turns out, regardless of what the Flames end up getting for Noah and for Tanev, I think Craig Conroy has played this perfectly because even if he doesn't get the return that you might have written down on a napkin over drinks with your boys, that's, he's still... Do you know that's where I write my stories? Yeah, I do. Napkins. Well, I've, yeah. Seen, I've okay. watched you. Do. I've okay. watched Just you making sure. He still has done everything in his power to maximize every single one of these deals. And so far, I think he has. I think he maximized to Foley. I think he really did a great job under the circumstances with Zadorov and obviously the Lindholm deal. He hit that thing out to left field. So even if it doesn't meet person X or person Y's outside expectations, you can be sure and fully confident that when it's 1.01 p.m. on March 8th, that Craig Conroy has done everything in his power with the cards that he's been dealt to maximize every single one of these situations. And he did. it's not like they didn't do everything in their power to re-sign Hannafin, too. Like, they did everything to try to get that guy to stay. He's decided to go elsewhere. He's got a short list of teams that he's willing to sign with, and thus that makes it a little bit more difficult to maximize the value. It is what it is but it's not for lack of effort. It's not for lack of handling this properly. 
and it's it's not for lack of being as patient as humanly possible. Yeah, for sure. But there's 11 days, and you know, ultimately, Craig Conroy, and, and yeah, total respect to the patients and what's gone on behind the scenes. But ultimately, Craig Conroy is going to be judged on the return in these trades. Yeah, and that's fair. You know, you you have to if you're trading a 27 year old defenseman in in his prime, you still need mm-hmm. you still need to maximize that, and that is the challenge that faces Craig Conroy for. This next week and a half. We got to get out of here. Uh, it is Pat and Wes. We're underway this hour on Flames Talk and our NHL trade deadline coverage this year. Brought to you by four great sponsors, including Atlas Pizza, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast, or call them at 403-248-3344 for pickup or delivery. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time for a Monday Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, the fastest growing segment of vehicles they sell as electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport. Well, the first half of this hour focused on the lead up to the trade deadline, focused on the off-ice, Hannafin return, Tanev return, so on and so forth. Let's turn our focus on the ice. Uh, Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, on our Daily Flames roundtable on this Monday. Gents, I just, we've talked a ton about Nazem Kadri of late, and I just continue to be impressed with the way that this guy is dragging the group into the fight, night in, night out, you know, here he was calling the calling his own number in overtime Thursday against the Boston Bruins. Another two-point night for him as he scores the winner. That line was the most dangerous line on the ice once again, and it was Kadri leading the way. And I'm not suggesting that this is a one-player team or anything like that. We know that they need contributions up and down the lineup. And there he was again on Saturday, 122 seconds in. Wins a one-on-one battle with the best player in the world. Shoves him off him. Nice redirect past Skinner. And then a perfect celebration to set the emotional tone in a fired-up night against the Edmonton Oilers. And that's just the two most recent examples, guys, of, of Nazem Kadri being one of the leaders on and off the ice. One of the get-on-my-back guys that this team has. Not the only one. But it's kind of in stark contrast to how last season ended in his first year as a member of the Flames. Gents, what do we think is different this year with Kadri compared to how things ended last year? Well, just to pick up on that last point you made, Pat, for me, Nazem Kadri has done a better job dragging his teammates into the fight than anybody since Matthew Kachuk. So yeah, 100%. I think that speaks volumes, and he's done a great job of that this year. As far as why has he been better, I mean, I've got a number of reasons. Uh, in no particular order, number one, I think he was physically and mentally worn out in the back half of last season. So two years ago, he had to do a lot of heavy lifting. He went from being the number two center to the number one center for the Avalanche because of an injury to Nathan McKinnon and played in that role for a good chunk of the regular season. And then they get to the playoffs, and he plays two months of postseason hockey and wins a Stanley Cup, which means uh, a short offseason, 
He was battling through some injuries that he had to recover from. Didn't have a lot of time to, to rest up physically and mentally. He's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, I'm sure that can be stressful. He ends up signing with the Flames, joins the team, and I thought he was hands down their best player early last season. And you could argue for the first half of last season was the team's representative at the NHL All-Star game, came back and, quite frankly, didn't look like the same guy. And I think he hit a wall. So I think that's part of why he's been better. He had a full off season, uh, physically and mentally feeling better coming into this season. Uh, had a year to settle in with a new team. That probably helped as well. Number two, I think it's safe to say that Nazem Kadri and Daryl Sutter didn't necessarily see eye to eye all the time. And I think that Ryan Huska has done a really good job empowering Nazem Kadri and other veterans inside of the dressing room. And I see Kadri playing a bigger leadership role with the Flames this season than he did last. And that's not all about Sutter versus Huska. That's, uh, I think, equally as much about him being in his second year with the team and probably feeling more comfortable playing that role. So that would be another thing. And then number three, I think he has been energized by being put between two rookies and two talented yet different rookies in Connor Zary and Martin Fusil. I think he's brought the best out of them, but I also think that in a way they brought the best out of him. So I could probably come up with a few reasons, but I think those three would be at the top of my list. You know, the, the one that I would add is just the response. And what I mean by that is the response to the criticisms that he's faced in Calgary at the end of last season when he had that god-awful game against the Chicago Blackhawks that in some ways kind of sealed the Flames' fate as a non-playoff team. And, and the way he responded to the, the sort of criticism or panic in this city from people like me, I was the first one to say, geez, what's going on here? when he had such a slow start to this season. One point in his first eight games. Right. Like, I was thinking about it the other night, boys. I remember, and I was thinking about this when Nazem Kadri scores the opening goal in the Battle of Alberta, which now gives him 20 on the season and five in a five-game span. I remember one of the big storylines of the Heritage Classic was, how does Nazem Kadri not have a goal yet this season? How does Nazem Kadri only have one point so far this season. That was one of the main talking points at Commonwealth Stadium. You know, two teams that went into that game on awful skids, and Nazem Kadri was one of the guys in the kind of crosshairs in this market especially. And, well, when you talk to Nazem, there's a very like, hey, guys, don't worry about it. I feel like I'm playing fine. Well, while there's a very sort of chill public demeanor, I know how proud of a guy he is, and I know that would have bugged him. I know that people looking at him last year and saying, man, you might have cost your team a chance to stay in the playoff hunt. People looking at him at the start of the season and saying, man, what is going on with you? I know that would bug him. And that's another reason, I think, for what we've seen. Yeah, Willsey, some great points. I do think he was worn out when he got to Calgary, missed a lot of training because of the thumb injury. I do think he's been energized big time by Connor Zary and Martin Possible. I do think that's maybe brought out a better role model in him just in terms of I, I can't cheat a single shift because I'm telling these guys beside me that they can't do that. I think there's all that goes into it. But for me, the biggest one is the response to the criticism. And the last thing that I add, uh, I'll add, and I've, I've, I've asked a few people about this behind the scenes, and, and, and this is the thing that has stood out most to me. Guys, I think the Flames 
really went to Nazem as this season was going on and, and as they recalled Zary and then the next game, Pospisil. You know, Ryan Huska made a really interesting comment last week when he was asked about Kadri. He said, there's a reason why Zary and Pospisil are having such great rookie seasons. And Kadri took it the right way. Because sometimes as a veteran, you're like, hold on a second. You're calling up two guys and I'm the guy playing with these guys with a combined zero NHL games to their name? Like, you're, you're well, here we are in the middle of a skid, you're bringing up two guys from the American League, and you're putting them with me? Like, sometimes a veteran might react to that, and instead, they appealed to, like, hey, you're a Stanley Cup winner, you are one of the established best two-way centers in the league, we signed you here to be one of our best players, so, like, elevate these guys. We want you to make these guys better. And, and so I think that they appealed to him then to like this is a real opportunity to like just further your hey this is why we brought you here and then the other thing I think they've appealed to is and I know that he never played with Johnny and he never played with Matthew but Gaudreau no longer here Kachuk no longer here now Lindholm no longer here there's kind of been a massive changing of the guard and you've got your one mainstay and Michael Backlund but it's like we need more guys to step in and be just overall leaders. We need Lindholm's gone. We want you to be like you're the number one center now. Go out like people have always wondered, can you be a number one center? Here's your out. Like you are our guy, and I think that's empowered him too. And that's the word that I would uh, I would really use. I, I think Kadri's really been empowered with just how much they've put on his shoulders. Not because they've had to, but because they believe he's the right guy to have it on their sh- on his shoulders. And I, I think that's really changed his mindset and, and really changed his engagement level and everything. I, I think it's that, that to me is the other element that I think is really important here, just how much they appeal to Nazem is, hey, we need you to be the guy now. Lindholm's gone. Johnny's gone. Matthew's gone. You're the guy. You're our center. We need you to drive the bus night in, night out. And he has responded to it in an awesome way. I am so impressed. Uh, he's been great. And I think he deserves a lot of credit uh, for stepping up and becoming more of a leader for this team. But ultimately, leading by example on the ice. He has been as consistently good as any player on the team. Uh, probably not named Jacob Markstrom this season. So he's been fantastic. And I give him a, a ton of credit for that. It's our Daily Flames roundtable with uh, Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. Okay, gents, 21 and 22 now since uh, the almost pointless month of December for Jonathan Huberdeau. Uh, after that point that he scored in the New Year's Eve win over Philadelphia, he's gone. Uh, he's missed one game due to illness, so he's got 21 points in his last 22 games. By far the most productive extended stretch that we've seen from Jonathan uh, since he's been a member of the Flames. Gents, what's the the biggest reason for you for Jonathan's recent offensive turnaround? A couple of intangibles. Uh, confidence, number one, and chemistry, number two. Uh, I'll start with number two. So for almost a season and a half, the Flames looked for players who had some sort of chemistry with Jonathan Huberdeau. And on paper, I believe that uh, the best fit for Jonathan Huberdeau was Elias Lindholm and last season Tyler Toffoli. So you've got uh, a 200-foot centerman in Lindholm who can also shoot the puck, and you've got your best pure shooter in Toffoli. So they tried those three guys together, and quite frankly, it just didn't work very well. So 
uh, you flip the page to a new season, uh, Tyler Toffoli is gone. You've got Yegor Sharangovich, who's a, a really good shooter, playing on the right side of a line with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberdeau. And uh, I do think that, you know, when they kind of circled back to that uh, the second time, because it, it didn't work the first time, but I'm not sure that was on Huberdeau as much as it was on uh, Sharon Govich trying to get acclimated to a new city and a new team and trying to figure out who he was and where he belonged. But when they circled back to it for the second time, you could see that there was something there between Huberdeau, the team's best passer, and Sharon Govich, who at the time I would say was the team's best shooter. And I think Lindholm played an important role on helping to get Huberdeau going as well. But uh, he, he was still kind of struggling to, to put up the types of numbers that he had for most of his career. And then he finally got the monkey off his back. He snapped that career-long 12-game pointless streak. And since then, he's been almost a point-a-game player. And, and for me, guys, it goes beyond the numbers because the numbers are good. Because for a long time, I said, you said, almost everybody said, if only the Flames could get Jonathan Huberto back to being almost a point-a-game player again. Well, that's what he's been for the last quarter of a season. We're not talking about a small sample size of five games or ten games here. We're talking about a quarter of a season now where he's been close to a point-of-game player and is looked dangerous on a consistent basis. So uh, I think that he's found some chemistry with his line mates, and I think the fact that the things that he was doing that weren't working for almost a year and a half uh, have started working, I think that's really helped him. And, guys, I think he's done a better job playing the game the right way. I think he's been better without the puck, which has led to him having the puck more, and when he's had it, he's done good things with it. I think it was just so important for Jonathan that when things started to turn for him, he just sort of kept just kept piecing together solid performance after solid performance after solid performance. I felt like in his first season and a half with the Flames, he'd have a really good game. And you'd think, oh, okay, maybe this is the start of it. He'd have two really good games. And you'd think, oh, okay, maybe this is the start of the turn. And, and then there'd be a dud or then there'd yeah. be a couple in a row that he got held off the score sheet. And, you know, it certainly goes to some of that confidence that Derek was mentioning. Just the fact that he started to see the rewards pile up. The fact that he hasn't gone more than two games since the calendar turned to 2024 without getting a point. I just think that's so crucial for a guy who takes pride in producing offense. It's how he has sort of looked at his value as a player for the longest time. And, you know, we see it when when we talk to Jonathan Huberto in scrums. If you chat with anyone in the organization, they go out of their way to sort of mention the fact this, like this guy, he feels all the pressure. And he's never shied away from the pressure. He He's never shied away from the expectations that come with his paycheck. And yet when he felt like every time... He was maybe getting close to living up to it for a stretch. He took a step back. I just, I, I feel like he could never get any traction confidence-wise. And I think as simple as that sounds, to string some games together, to be a point-per-game guy for a couple weeks and then for a month and now for almost two months, I think that's exactly what he needed. There's more confidence there. He's not, listen, he, he answered the bell whenever we wanted to talk to him, but he came out once a week for the first three months of the season and talked about how he wasn't producing and he he stood there and said yeah I gotta be better yeah I know I know I have to help this team more that's gonna wear on a guy 
And, And I think, you know, I wrote something today where I said, this was the most popular topic in Calgary for the first three months of the season is, why can't Jonathan Huberto help this team win games? Well, no one's been talking about him for the last two months. Yeah. And that must be really refreshing. I and I, the, the, I'll, we got to be quick, so I'll just I I do think finally having somebody that clearly just works and there's been as as you use the c word chemistry, Willsey. I just the the fact that Sharon Govich worked and it clearly worked and yeah, I just I think that's been a big part of it. There, I don't think there's a I know that it didn't work right from the get-go in training camp with Sharon Govich, but as soon as he got put back there, it seemed to start to work. And even though he's playing center now and that's taken a little bit away from Sharon Govich's offense, I still think it works. I still think that they work well together. And I think that because he found some chemistry, I, I think there's a correlation. Look at all these C words. I think there's a correlation between chemistry and confidence. And, Willsey, I think that that I, – I think one – started the other. I think finding that chemistry was finally able to start the confidence building for Huberto. And now the confidence is there. I think it's easier to find chemistry with other people. And it just, it feels like for the first time it's pointed in the right direction. Uh, Does that mean he's going to be on pace for 90 or a hundred or 110 between now and the end of the regular season? Maybe not, but it, it finally seems like offensively it's pointed in the right direction and clearly the best direction that it's been since he's been here. Yeah. He's got his confidence back. He's found some chemistry and I think the process has been better too. And that's led to much better results. I just think he's playing the game at a higher level right now with and without the puck. Uh, he's been way more engaged physically. He's actually throwing some body checks that uh, raised an eyebrow for me, I can tell you that, and has led to some good things for the Flames. And now he's starting to elevate the players around him. Uh, I think about some of the passes that he's made uh, during this stretch where he's been almost a point-of-game player, and not all of those great passes have been finished by the guys who he set up. But with that said, I also think that uh, guys who he's playing with, whether it be at five-on-five or on the power play, have also done a better job finishing some plays for him. He wasn't getting a lot of puck luck in that regard for the first year and a half or so. So I think there are a lot of different factors, but the good news for Huberto and for the Flames is that he's a lot closer to being the 115-point player he was in his last season with the Panthers uh, than the 55-point guy who he was in his first season with the Flames. And, hey, when you're in year two of an eight-year contract, uh, that's a big step in the right direction. Uh, talk to you on Tuesday on a game day before the Flames and Kings, Willsey. Thank you very much. Okay, good night, guys. He's Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up on our Daily Flames roundtable on this Monday. That'll wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. Uh, thanks to Cam Hughes, Shan Vergie, our producers this hour. Uh, Wes Gilbertson on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. And our Daily Flames roundtable brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport. Airport.